listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome inside to another very special episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have a very special and unique guest. Today we have Jess Ellis. Jess, welcome on in. Thank you, Chase. Thanks for having me. All right, Jess. Um, you know, I found you on social media kind of through the rehab code. Um, but, you know, give people a little bit of background about who you are and kind of uh, what got you involved in physical therapy. All right. Well, um, so I started... I'm from, I'm from North Dakota and I went to school at University of North Dakota and prior to deciding what I wanted to do, my mom has, she's been diagnosed with MS for, since she was like probably 24, 25, but she was doing rehab and she was like, you know what? Like, I know you want to be a psychologist, but you should go follow me for one session. And, you know, I went into that session, not really wanting to, I wasn't very, um, you know, I, I guess I was indifferent, but then I went there, saw it. I'm like, I really think I could excel here. So that's kind of how I started looking at PT. Um, luckily at UND, so University of North Dakota, it was a, a three year and then you could get into the program and then it was three years after. So I got my post, I got my doctorate in six years. So I got to cut off one year of tuition and, um, then I moved down with my wife. We just got married after PT school and we moved to Phoenix where there was a lot more opportunity for pro sports. And that's kind of where I started my career. Gotcha. And then uh, kind of where did you start your career? Did you work in, uh, you know, outpatient? Did you kind of work in, you know, high level sports? Kind of tell us a little bit more about that journey. Yeah. You know, it was funny. I was never a sports guy early on. Um, I worked at Physiotherapy Associates. I don't know if you remember that. That was, um, I think they got bought up by Select maybe, but Physiotherapy Associates was one of your classic big corporate PTs. So I was a number and uh, it was a good experience, but it was inundated with so much patient volume. I think I was seeing like 25 to 30 patients a day. Like, I would finish my day and I just have a stack of paper charts. This was before <laughs> web PT or any kind of EMR. And I would just be like, like, this is the end of my day. And it was probably more because I really loved my job and I loved to be with the patients and I hated documentation. And I just left for that, left that for the end of the day, but it just started to get like, just, it was just burnout at that point. So after two years there, I said, I'm going to slow down a little bit. So I went to a private practice um, uh, clinic and I went to a fellowship through Evidence in Motion. So I saw half the patients I was seeing, you know, 12 to 15 and really locked in on my clinical reasoning and went through that three-year process of uh, fellowship and loved every bit of it just because it was so much different than what I was doing. Um, it allowed me to be creative as a clinician and just to, you know, practice at a better level. Uh, so that was kind of transitioned to a private practice. So I got a little taste of just more of the mom and pop type of setting. And then from there, uh, I went to, I got an opportunity at Exos to go to China. 
and I worked uh, at the Shang. Let's see, what is it called? The Shanghai Institute of Research of Sports Science, and I was there for maybe six weeks, but it was all Olympians, and that was kind of my first taste of actual sport. Um, then that allowed me to get into the EXO system. I became the director of PT, and I oversaw you know the five PT staff uh, of the. It was the brick and mortar. So there was five different facilities in the country. And then after that, I was recruited up to work for the Portland Trailblazers. And I worked five seasons with them as the director of player health and performance. And now I'm back here. Gotcha. So that's, you know, quite a career arc from, you know, kind of being indifferent to PT. Most people on this podcast, you know, kind of know PTs in their journey, especially sports PTs in their journey because their careers as like high school or college, college athletes. But you had a very different path. Um, after you had that experience, when you went to China, what was it about it, about sports PT that made you think, yep, this is kind of how I want to, you know, kind of change my career trajectory. Yeah, I think, I think the, uh, I always wanted to get, you know, I, I did want to go to sport. That was something that was always on my radar. I just felt like I never knew how to get in and that job at the, in China allowed me the first taste of, Hey, I'm good enough to be in this setting because I lacked confidence. And I was also really busy at my current job that it was so, so much an afterthought, like maybe I'll get into sports. And then I think that's what happens with a lot of people is they just get, they, they get loaded on um, loaded down by life and just having a, a a busy work schedule and seeing a bunch of patients. And then they start to lose their dream of what they were once wanting to do because bills come up, they start a family. And then it's just like, okay, I'm going to just be in this PT setting, maybe an orthopedic outpatient and that that's it. So I think that was the first time that I said, okay, I think I'm good enough to do this. Um, so that was my taste. That, and then after that, um, it was funny because there was one other opportunity and it was my dream job was to work for the Boston Red Sox. And that was like, when I got out of PT school, I was a big Red Sox fan. That's what I wanted to do. And like four years later, my name got thrown into the, the head PT role for the Red Sox, like through networking. And I couldn't believe that I was even in the ballpark. And, and I was so excited to interview and I made it to the second or third round. And basically they said, you know what, you did really well, but you're, you're too young and it's just probably not the right role for you. So they sent me that email and this is no lie. I copy and paste that email on my desktop picture of me <laughs> having my dream job that I was pursuing and basically not getting. And it gave me motivation because it just, again, exposed me to say like, man, I made it through the third round of that. that I, I don't think I, I didn't even think I could do that. Uh, so then that accelerated everything from the sports side. Yeah. And so obviously that kind of led you into your journey, you know, working for Exos and kind of managing, uh, being a manager there. So what are some things that you like during your time as a, a leader and a clinician there that you think like kind of helped you propel, propel you further on into your career? Well, Exos is chaos. Um, and that's, it's not a bad thing because I think sport is chaos. Uh, so when I was at Exos, it was a, it was a shift in how they wanted to approach PT. 
because prior it was always just cash and always focusing on the athlete. And when I became the manager and then promoted to director, it was, we are bringing in insurance now. We are taking insurance. We're taking anybody on the street to work at Exos. So it was such a interesting flow where I'd be working with somebody that had like a total hip replacement. And then the next patient I'd have a youth athlete, and then I'd have a professional football player. And it was just like the gears had to shift all the time based on this beautiful spectrum of a function. Uh, so for that to be successful, I think being exposed to, to general pop for so long, and then also in my personality, I'm very adaptable. Um, I would say I'm, I'm more adaptable and less structured, which allowed me to be successful in that setting because you had to always shift gears and um, tailor to the athletes. And a lot of times these athletes don't pay actually for physical therapy. They pay for the general services of Exos, but they're not paying a copay or, or doing anything there. You just have to service and provide a high level experience for the athlete. So now you're balancing even like financials. Right. Yeah. That's uh, the, the, the chaos of outpatient, you know, is already, you know, kind of forces you to be adaptable because, you know, you never know when a patient's going to walk in at the wrong time. And all of a sudden you, you have one more patient than expected, uh, kind of forces you to kind of become flexible. Otherwise, you know, patients won't get the care. And that's, that's your main goal is it's like, how can I provide the best care possible while also, you know, kind of maintaining all the other duties that I might, might be required of me. So yeah. after you, uh, finished at Exos, you said you worked for the Trailblazers. Kind of tell us a little bit more about that kind of journey to working with uh, in Portland. So this was a guy that worked at the private sector, but never had a taste of anything profession, professional sports. So I was, you know, everything was new to me. I walked into a staff that was very, very established, a head trainer that was there for 20 plus years. Um, two strength coaches that were at least seven plus years in their roles. And I was the new guy, but I was their boss. So it was kind of a, you know, I could have walked in and been like, all right, we're making all these changes. This is what we're going to do. I'm the guy. But I really stepped back and I just listened to my staff because I knew that they'd been there a lot longer than me. I needed to hear all of their perspective and their experiences in the setting and that was so critical for me because um, some of the ideas that I had just were never going to work. And instead of looking stupid along the way, um, I was able to dodge some of those uh, headaches. So, yeah, I think that was my experience as an established group. The first year that we were there, we were, I think, second in health for in the NBA. The second year we were there, we were number one. So the first two years of my career, I mean, we were we were doing really well. And then as you see with most MBA or anything in sports, there's, there's a, you know, the law of average. And then we had a rough third year and then fourth and fifth, we had a solid year as well. But yeah, there was, it seemed like every season I was in, it was a different theme, a different type of injury that took a lot of the focus. So it was always constantly reading, reviewing, finding experts. It was fun. It was also very stressful because, you know, especially if you're on a playoff team and you want to win and, and there's high expectations, that elevates everything for stress. So that was one thing I would really 
mention that, yeah, it's, it sounds like a great job, but yeah, the stress level and the expectations and the things that you can control versus uncontrol, it's tough. Gotcha. Um, and so I kind of have a question based on that. So you said that, you know, that third season is kind of when you kind of got an injury bug and kind of hit a rough yeah. patch in terms of injuries. So who do you turn to, you know, when you're, when you're the director of rehab and you're supposed to have all the answers, but sometimes, you know, you don't have all the answers and you got to search and find who do you turn to or what do you turn to, to kind of find, find out what can kind of turn, turn the ties for you. So that way you can kind of get back onto that less injured and winning path. Yeah. First off, you, you talk to your staff in general, you need to know if there's any miscommunications that are happening. Is there, are we all moving in the right direction or are there some conflict happening within the team? So that's the first thing is you got to look internally before you go anywhere else. So once you get that covered and everything is moving in the right direction, then the benefit of, of this job is the pretty title and being able to be able to be in a professional setting like this. I can, e I could, I could email anybody and they would answer because of the profile, the high profile of the title and in being in the NBA. So if I was reading a research article and I saw the authors and I wanted to get a hold of them, I would just, you know, find a way or email them or, or get a phone call or work through my network to see who I could find. So looking for the best of the best, the high expert level in a, you know, a specialty was, was very valuable because you got to see and hear from such a high level at, at one type, one certain topic. And then you write down a bunch of stuff and you sit back and you look and say, this is more of a perfect situation in academia. And this is where we are. So we're going to take what they say and we're going to mold it to make it more sense for where we're at. And I think that's one thing that you really have to look at in pro sports is all this information you can obtain, but how does it emulate to the system that you're trying to create? Right. Um, I think that's a, that's a great answer because, you know, when you're supposed to be, you know, have all the answers and you, you know, not everyone actually has all the answers, but when you have to kind of put up or shut up basically, and you got to find that answer, um, kind of like, who do you turn to? So I think that's a, a great answer that you kind of gave. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, your time working with the, with the Blazers talking about like the interprofessional team. So you said that the first thing you did was kind of listen to the vets on the sports med team, the, the, tra the athletic trainer and the strength coaches, um, kind of how do you make sure that everyone's on the same page that you said, kind of going back and doing a little self self study and kind of figuring out if everyone's on the same page. So what's the best and like most seamless way to make sure that everyone's communicating about, um, you know, a, a player's injuries and kind of their status and making sure that they're getting the best possible care. So I think you, you have to provide autonomy. You really do for every person. And we, we had a small staff, we had the smallest staff in the league. So with having such a small staff there, there is there's ingrained autonomy that really needs to happen for all of us to survive. So there needs to be a, a real strong level of trust for each person. They feel they all need to feel like they've been heard. And the thing that whenever you're the, the top person and you have a meeting, you can always have issues. Conflict is normal, but the rule like with me and, and especially even with my GM, it was, 
whatever is the result, we're going to leave this room. We're going to shake hands. We're going to leave this room. And that's what we're going to do. Like I heard you, you heard me. We kind of hopefully collaborated. Sometimes you may have to be the one that says, no, we're doing this. But the rule is you're not going to walk out. You're not going to talk, talk shit. You're not going to drag your feet. That's it's once you leave the office, it's like, that's what we're doing. And I think especially anybody that's in the league long enough, they understand that that's the way you have to live because that's how you survive in the league. If you're the squeaky wheel, if you start to make little problems, big problems, that's a no-no in pro sports. If you have little minor little bullshit thing that happen in, in pro sports and the GM or the head coach finds out, they go, dude, we have so much stuff going on. We have to win this game tonight. And you guys are worried about that. Like they don't have any patience for that. That's just something that like you, you two have to, you know, be adults and figure it out and not make it something more than that. And if you don't, and then you usually they don't make it in the league. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, a unique perspective that I don't think we've gotten on that podcast. So I really appreciate that. So um, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about how I actually found out about who you are. So I actually found out um, someone had posted one of your stories on Instagram about the rehab code. So I will let you take it from here, kind of tell people a little bit more what the rehab code is and kind of what made you want to start it. Well, I, I started the rehab code, like I'm not a huge Instagram person. So that was, that was uh, growing pains in, in itself. I feel like I'm an old dog playing this game, but I really wanted to teach. And I feel like there was a lot of perspective that I could provide in many different spectrums from pro sports to high performance private sector to just general, normal, general pop work. And then also I'm finishing up my PhD. I've done a fellowship. I've done, you know, all the stuff behind my name. It shows that I really care about what I do, but I've Put a lot of hours into my career so with all of that i'd love to give back that's something i've always wanted to do and from where i was two years prior to or after my career or started two years um once i graduated i was again like i had mentioned i was totally burnt out so i found somebody that was such a high level clinician that completely warped my mind of like Wow, the level of focus, not even the le level of technical skill, like that was always really good. But the level of focus and the way they communicated with the patient was on such a different level that showed that not only is this guy really, really good, but he really, really cares. And that was the one thing that I started to whittle, started to whittle down was I was starting to lose the thing that made me happy, which was providing high level rehab and caring about my patient. When you see so many patients, it's just kind of a survival mode. So I saw that that perspective that needed to shift. And that's where I created Rehab Code is to be able to provide high level content where it's not fluff. Um, it's also an open book where if you guys want to ask me questions, I will be helpful and answer anything that you guys want. The, the thing that makes it different is it's based on a weekly topic on Sunday. Sunday or Monday, we send out what the, the newsletter will be. And that newsletter topic will span through the rest of the week for the videos. So you at least can have a kind of a mini curriculum for the week of what we're going to talk about. And if there's something that you want to ask about that topic, we would address it. 
Yeah, I think the um, for me at least, I've been following along the the newsletter and then also the Instagram posts. Um, so it's been super helpful. Um, so kind of talk us a little bit more about kind of your process in uh, in kind of choosing topics and then kind of how how you go about you know answering questions or kind of choosing what you want to discuss about a certain topic. Because obviously it's like you could talk about ACLs, but it's like how do you choose what information is the most important to kind of pass on to whoever's watching? Yeah, I think that just comes from my experience and maybe my failures of a clinician and knowing, um, you know, I'm 10 years out or maybe now it's 12 or 13, but I'm not old. I'm not old enough to not remember the things that were challenging early on. So as I get older, I'm going to start to lose that early perspective, but I'm in a perfect zone of knowing the common errors that you see and that's probably that gives me a, a really strong perspective of especially teaching younger clinicians some of the headaches that you find. And then also knowing that some PTs want to go into performance and there is that lack of education that they have and they're trying to accelerate and catch up because we're not taught exercises and more your performance metrics that you, you track. And I find that that's another way that I can help, which is kind of fill the void of a PT that's been in performance for so long, but speaking from a PT perspective and talking about biomechanics and physics and kind of the foundational things that you need to at least have a principal thought behind it, which then you can carry over to the fancy exercise that you want, but you still need to have the foundation. So that's kind of the perspective that I give and, and I look at when I look for a topic. Uh, that's kind of where I look for the kind of the the ambiguous areas. Gotcha. Um, and so another part in Rehab Code or on kind of on your social media that you've discussed is not even just, you know, biomechanics or exercise selection or progressions or injuries, um, but virtual mentorship. So kind of tell us, you know, that was one topic that kind of really piqued my interest. So kind of tell us a little bit more about like kind of your stance on what, you know, virtual mentorship can provide for a clinician. Yeah, the virtual mentorship is more of the, um, it's nothing technical. It's more about, let's talk about clinical reasoning. Let's talk about proper um, question sequencing. Let's talk about biases, your cognitive biases and your heuristics and how you're trying to enhance those and get better because you want to be a more efficient clinician. So that's kind of where I tailor more of the deeper thinking philosophical stuff that I think you also need to really dive into as you get better as a clinician is not so much how much knowledge you have on exercise science and the technical side, it's the communication, it's the challenging what you, what you're thinking. So that's kind of where, where we're at. Like I just posted one, uh, today on Enneagram, which I don't know if you know, but it's a personality test that I use and I use it every day. And it's been such a valuable tool to understand who I am, but along with er any patient that walks in, it's a real practical tool because I can, within about 10, 15 minutes, kind of whittle it down to maybe two or three numbers where I'm like, I think he's, he or she is this. And then if you get that set, then you also start to know their weaknesses and how you're going to instill trust. And it's just a real cool um, exercise that everyone should try to do. 
Gotcha. Um, so I want to talk another about, you know, you kind of are all over social media now, even though you said you're not really an Instagram person. <laughs> I, I've been kind of diving down deep down the rabbit hole on your um, some of your Instagram stuff. Um, you have the career codex. So kind of tell people a little bit more about what that is and kind of what made you get want to get that started. Yeah, so career codex is just a, a newsletter, uh, but it provides job posting for any jobs that are currently for professional sports collegiate or kind of high level private sector. And it's basically, it's free. I mean, I'm just trying to get people exposed to opportunities. Um, and some of it is, you know, you could look it up yourself. And then some of these jobs, I actually get some feedback from people or my network and saying, do you know of somebody? And I got so much of those questions it was almost to a point where I was like, should I start a business doing this? Because I'm getting enough to where it's like, can I make money on this? But after thinking about it, it just, it doesn't make sense because it's just a lot of work. And uh, so instead I go, well, I'm just going to do it for free and I'm just going to help people out. So that that's kind of where it came from. Really, it was because my network was very little early on. And I wish I could say that I started my career with a plan and I went after it. And I got it. I kind of was just floating back and forth and got opportunities and maybe I got lucky. I know I worked really hard, but I would rather, you know, help people be more efficient in their career than me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think that's, it's that's, that's why I created it. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, it's been a, it's a great tool because I'm sure there's lots of people that are listening to this podcast kind of wondering how they can kind of break into the sports world, you know, it, and like you said, it's all about networking connections, but it's also about kind of knowing if those opportunities are even available. So, you know, hopefully anybody that's listening to it can, uh, you know, take a look at that and kind of subscribe to that and kind of just check and see because that's, you know, a free opportunity because, you know, not all these places post on LinkedIn or, you know, your typical, like, yeah. not the uh, NBA teams aren't exactly posting on Indeed for uh, rehab directors. So, you know, yeah. this is kind of a great, you know, insider networking uh, event for you. Um, well, I, I do have to mention one thing, Chase, and that's mm -hmm. a lot of times in, well, the higher the profile job, the less exposed it usually is to the public uh, or even just in general for pro sports. A lot of times it's a, it's a phone call it's uh, hey, do you know any, do you know of anybody? We don't have it publicly open right now. We're just fielding this first sweep of of applicants, and then they'll post it later. But there's already you, you're not even in the in the <laughs> you're not even in the first round, and that's why I think some people get really frustrated, and they should because they might be really good candidates, but they don't have the network to get into this kind of exclusive um, viewing of applicants. And that's why it doesn't matter how much stuff is behind your name. If you don't have the network and your name doesn't come up in conversations, you're just not, you're going to have a less, less of a chance to get a job. Gotcha. All right, Jess, last question for you before we get you out of here. And I think your last answer could be a great, you know, kind of uh, answer for this too, but I'll ask you, uh, I'll ask you again. Uh, what's your best piece of advice for somebody that wants to get into sports PT. Um, you know, I think your journey and your experiences are, you know, like you said, it's not yours. Wasn't the uh, straight path directly to sports and you kind of want to help people get there. So what advice would you give to somebody that is looking to get into pro or college or, you know, high level sports? 
Well, I think for one, you really have to look at your current situation and where, where would be the next step? Because a lot of times people will overestimate what they can provide and what they have, and they'll interview for jobs that probably they're not, they're not the right candidate because they don't have enough experience or they're just, it's the competition is, is, is too heavy. So I think you have to be very honest when you see these opportunities, you can throw your resume in, but know that you may have to get a, a minor league job or a G league job, and you can't jump the line um, unless you know somebody that's going to bring you along and bud the line. So I think wherever at in career, you got to like know what's a realistic jump. And then the one thing I always say is never stop your opportunity based on geography. Like in my case, I mean, I had to go to China to get my first <laughs> job, right? Like not many people would do that. I quit my job. I went to China. I worked only for eight weeks and then I came back. Um, my other job that I did, which was, uh, I worked with a professional tennis player. She called and said, can you fly out in a week and interview for the next two weeks in Australia? And then we'll, we'll decide if you can, if you're going to be with the team or not. And I said, okay. So I flew to Australia with my luggage and not knowing a single person and shaking hands with the player and literally getting off the plane and going to practice. And that was my first day. And after two weeks, she wanted me to stay with her. And I was there the whole, whole season with her. That was risks. I took risks in China. I took risks going to, to Australia. And again, I think some people just won't make that, that change. And then one, one other thing is when I was early on, I had zero experience in pro sports. I would work four tens and on my Wednesday I had off, I drove to the, um, the ballpark, the minor league ballpark in for the San Francisco giants. And one day I said, if you need help, if you need help cleaning the tables, folding towels, making an ice bag, like I can do it. He goes, yeah, I need help doing that. I I'd go there on my day off and I do stuff on, on the weekends too. And that's how I started to rub shoulders with people that were in pro sports. I didn't do an internship. I didn't do anything like that. I just was free labor because I knew that that was something that, that was needed at the time. So those were three opportunities. Those were my three initial experiences of sport that I don't think a lot of people would do. Yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. I mean, try kind of dropping everything and kind of dropping your job to go to China is a huge risk, but, uh, you know, sometimes it might be the necessary thing to kind of, you know, put you in the right places, put, put you in the right place at the right time to meet the right people. And then that kind of builds your network and then kind of grows your career from there. Um, well, Jess, this has been a great talk and I think I've learned a lot of things from you. So hopefully everyone else is listening, has learned some things from you. Um, I know rehab code is something big, so kind of, why don't you tell people where they can find it? And I'll give you a little bit of social media plug here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, ch uh, you can follow me on rehab underscore code. And, uh, again, there's just, we, we try to, I try to produce at least four or five things a week of just specific topics. Like this week is overhead athlete, everything overhead athlete. So, 
Um, but more importantly, IG is one thing, but ideally the best is to get on the newsletter because there's, there's updates and things that you can get. You can get on the career codex newsletter, but then the, uh, just the weekly decoding newsletter is, uh, a breakdown of a rehab article and a breakdown of a performance-based article on the same topic. So you can kind of take two lenses of the same thing. And then just some other things that I've read or, or, or listened to that I felt are valuable. So you get that every week and it's a high level uh, newsletter that you can obtain as well. So that would be the first two would just be um, IG newsletter. If you want to get a job, get on career codex and I'll help you find one too. And that would be, yeah, that's the best way to, to follow me. Perfect. I will make sure I will link all of that in the description for the, uh, the episode. Um, well, Jess, this has been, like I said, this has been a great episode. Um, and, uh, this has been the latest episode of the sports rehab experts podcast. Thank you. Huge shout out to Jess Ellis of the Rehab Code and formerly of the Portland Trailblazers for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. If you liked what you heard or want to hear more episodes from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.